Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so what I seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. Doubt is an experience in every person's life, including the life of Christians. Yet many of us are unwilling to acknowledge our doubts, or we are afraid of seeking help for our doubts because we fear that it reflects poorly on our faith. Therefore, too many believers will suppress their doubts with denial or eventually surrender to them in hopelessness. My guest on today's show argues that doubt is not necessarily a bad thing. He says that it is a common experience to us all, and that if we lean into it, then we might actually find our faith strengthened on the other side of doubt. His name is Travis Dickinson, and we discussed his latest book, Wandering Towards God, Finding Faith Amid Doubts and Big Questions. Travis Dickinson has his Ph.D. from the University of Iowa and is professor of philosophy at Dallas Baptist University. He has taught courses in philosophy and Christian apologetics for over 20 years and has done apologetics and evangelism in more than 35 countries. He lives with his family in Fort Worth, Texas. If you enjoyed our conversation and you want to pick up a copy of Travis's book, then IVP is offering my listeners 30% off whenever you click on the link in my show notes. Go to their site and order the book and use code FILTER. So if you enjoyed this episode, you want to get a copy of the book for yourself, for some friends, or for a group to do it with, then make sure you click on the link in my show notes so that you can go to IVP and pick up a copy of Wandering Towards God. Wherever you check out, once again, use code FILTER and you'll get 30% off. This offer expires on October 10th. Before we get into this episode, let me encourage you to subscribe to Filter if you're not yet already. Subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts so that all future episodes will be right in the home of the app that you use. Also, if you're not yet already, subscribe to our email list so that every time we release new content, you will get uh, that new content sent directly into your inbox. Lastly, if this episode or any of our other episodes have been helpful to you, we would greatly appreciate it if you left us a rating and review and shared Filter with your friends. Leave the show a five-star rating and a review on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. Whenever you take these small, simple steps, it really helps us to get the message of biblical clarity out to more people. Well, without any further delay, let's jump into my conversation with Travis Dickinson. Travis, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Aaron. It's, It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, thank you so much for your time joining us here on the show. Uh, it's uh, good to talk to you. It, it sounds as though we've crossed paths before, but maybe didn't realize it. <laughs> right. You know, my background, for you know, our listeners probably know, is in apologetics, and you are a professor of philosophy and apologetics at DBU, uh, Dallas right. Baptist University. And uh, so we've been to uh, the same conferences, it sounds like, and so... Uh, yeah, so it's great to meet you, though. Uh, tell us about what you do at uh, Dallas Baptist University. Uh, you know, what, what kind of classes do, does a philosophy professor teach? Yeah, well, teaches philosophy classes, but the, the specifics are we have a pretty awesome uh, philosophy major. And so um, 
a lot of guys out there that are teaching philosophy end up having to teach like five courses of intro to philosophy and maybe if they're lucky intro to ethics but I get the privilege of having some upper level courses and some great students. So, um, and we're doing a uh, sort of, I, I've been here for about a, a year. And so uh, there's definitely a desire to do more with apologetics. And so I'm doing a course right now in apologetics. And uh, as, as we were chatting, I'll be at the Defend Conference uh, this year at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and bringing a, a group of enthusiastic DBU students to be part of that. So. Uh, yeah. yeah, I get to do all things philosophical, so it's awesome. Awesome. And are those uh, undergraduate classes, or are you doing graduate classes too? Uh, primarily undergraduate classes here at DBU at this point. Yeah, cool. Yeah, awesome. Well, I love hearing that, and uh, I look forward to seeing you at the Defend Conference. For any of our listeners who don't know, Defend, if you love apologetics, is worth looking into. It's yes. in New Orleans, hosted at NOBTS, and it is uh, in my opinion, best apologetics conference in the country. Yeah. So definitely I, look into that. The, I'd say there's only a few conferences out there that are really worth like making the trip, even if you don't live local. Otherwise, mm-hmm. catch something local. But uh, this is one of them, definitely, to make the trip. Yeah, yeah I agree. So anyway, we're, today we're talking about your latest book, which is coming out this month, uh, as of, we're, we're recording here in uh, middle of September. Uh, yeah. It's coming out in just a few days, I believe. Uh, it's called Wandering Towards God. And uh, it's on doubt and faith and how we are to approach doubt. And so in thinking about this book and writing it, and just in your experience as a professor and as someone who's been involved in ministry and in the local church for many years, how do you think most Christians and most uh, churches think about and handle doubt? Is it something that they view should just be avoided at all costs? Is it something that should be celebrated? Uh, how do you think most people handle it? Yeah, I would say when we talk about how most people handle it, um, I think it sounds quite similar to how most people handle a common cold, <laughs> right? That uh, when you get a cold, I mean, there's nothing much you can do about it except for just sort of wait it out, hope it goes away, maybe treat the symptoms, you know, um, as you go. And that's kind of the way which a lot of pastors and, and you know, parents as their kids go through doubt um, seem to treat doubts. They say, you know, basically stop, like basically knock it off, stop, stop doubting. Um and the shame of it, I think, is that so many people who just have honest questions, uh, there are some people who don't have honest questions. They, they mm-hmm. have a chip on their shoulder, that kind of a thing. They're not really searching for truth. But I think it, I, my, own, my own view is that it starts with honest questions so that the chip hopefully comes later. But um, many people with honest questions, unfortunately, aren't, don't find a place, a safe place to doubt their faith. Um, now, as you put it, though, I am not somebody, though, though I think there's a really huge value in doubting our faith. And, and I want to say that carefully and cautiously, but um, I'm not somebody that's going to celebrate. And I don't think pastors or parents should celebrate or people just people in general should celebrate doubt uh though there are some that do right there's some this the whole sort of deconstructionist movement seems to me to be a kind of celebration of doubt and it sort of goes in one direction which is that people lose their faith um 
what I think for me in my own journey, um, and I'm happy to say more about this, but as I doubted my faith, it was really because of the fact that I was doubting my faith that I grew in my own faith, right? It was from leaning in to those doubts and investigating that I really grew. So it's not a celebration of doubt. And that's not, you don't want, I don't, I always say like, uh, you know, doubt is not the destination, um, but it is an important moment for us in our faith that we want to, uh, I, I say, lean into and uh, uh, find truth, find knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I think we grow in our faith as a result. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. You mentioned the deconstructionist movement, and yeah. that's something that is really popular today. It's a hot topic, deconstructing, deconstructing our faith. Yeah. It, I'm assuming from what you've already said that that's not what you're talking about in this book, but if you're not talking about a deconstruction and how to approach that, and yeah. you're talking about something different when you write about doubt, what's the difference to, between the doubt that you are addressing and writing about in this book and what people today are calling deconstruction? Yeah. So I, I don't mind the word, to be honest. Some people don't like this term deconstruction, and part of it is because it hooks up with a you know philosophical thought of the 20th century that's has very little to do with today's deconstructionist movement as it relates to religious faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's some similarity, but it's quite a quite different thing. Um, so some people don't like it because they didn't like the you know original, and today I think the focus just so often ends up being right. If somebody's deconstructing, it's practically synonymous with deconverting, and yeah. I think that's just part of the problem. Is that I I think we I, I, again I don't mind the term. So if we are if what we mean by deconstructing is that we're really examining and investigating our beliefs and really sort of sifting through those to figure out which ones are true and which ones are false which ones are biblical which ones are not which are ones that we've just sort of read into it i mean i think when somebody uh looks at the political scene today and tries to tease out what is our sort of uh, cultural American political affiliation sorts of, uh, you know, ways in which we've we've blended that with our theology. Like, I think that's a mm-hmm. good thing to deconstruct and figure out and, and come away with it. We might not change our views very much, but but at least see what is biblical and what is more cultural. So I'm totally fine with that idea of deconstruction, but I think a lot of it ends up being just sort of pushing towards a deconversion. And that's where it's, I think, unfortunate, because then we're not really, again, seeking the truth, uh, which is what, for me, it should be all about. Uh, I, I tell people, especially when I get to talk to students, I always emphasize that I'm a Christian because it's true, <laughs> right? Because I've found it to be true. Yeah. Now, did I start there? No, I was probably a Christian because my parents were, and they were in the ministry, and my grandparents were, and really all the way back to my great 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 grandparents actually uh, were in the ministry, and so there were. I, I would say the reason why I was a Christian then was not because of truth; it was because of um, right that kind of family pressure, uh, you know, well intentioned. But that's that's truly why I think I was a Christian. Uh, but today, I, I sit here as a Christian because I've found it to be true, 
And so that's why doubts are important is that it helps us to examine these things. It sort of motivates us, gives us that opportunity. What I think it really is is that we sort of stumble on the weaker points or the, the sort of pressure points of our faith. And it's just an important thing to go through to be on this journey. That's why I entitled the book um, Wandering Toward God is because I think it, it truly is a journey that we're on and, it, and it's a lifelong journey. And so as the doubts come up, typically they come up because there are some weaknesses or just some gaps in our knowledge. And why run away from that? Like lean into that. Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes to the deconstructionist, you know, so-called movement, um, the worry is that it's just going one direction. It's just going towards the sacrificing of faith uh, for something else. I'm not sure what, but to be an ex-evangelical or whatever seems to be a club now, and it's not so much about truth as it is just sort of fitting into that movement. Yeah, uh, I, I think that the common thread in what's called the deconstruction movement is that it always ends with the individual getting to choose to live however they want. Yes. Um, and and if, it, are, if it doesn't end in that way, they don't call it a deconstruction journey. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's the and, only way it ends. And I think it's important to say, like, these are broad, sweeping claims that there's plenty of exceptions to. Sure. There's plenty of yeah. people who are are seeking truth that might identify uh, as being in a period of deconstruction. It just seems to me the broad sweep of it ends up being going a particular direction, which, you know, pretty much um, I think entails that it's not about truth. It's about just fitting into a new club at this point. Yeah, yeah. I think what you're describing with this experience of doubt that we can go through, and even in your own story, which would be probably a similar story for, for many people, is that our faith can initially, and this isn't true for everyone, but our faith can initially often be based on experience uh, because we experience God, His Holy Spirit, yeah. His grace working in us. We experience Him in worship or through, your case, growing up in a ministry home. We experience Him through our family and through our household. Um, and that's what our faith is based upon. And I, and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that, no. especially when we're young, whether it be young in age or just young in our faith. Uh, but then there comes a time whenever it needs to be based on experience and truth. Yeah. You know, it, it's similar. I, I was thinking as you were explaining about how, like, I know how a blender works by experience because mm -hmm. I've used it many times, but I've never opened it up on the inside to see for myself right. what is it that's making this thing work. And I think you know, that's similar to what our goal should be as Christians where we go through times of doubt is understand, like, okay, this is just a new area of my faith that I'm trying to look inside and, and, and moved from maybe what was before just something that was taken by the word of someone else or by experience and now trying to ground it in, in truth and in, um, you know, and in the mind as well yeah. as the heart. And so we open it up to see how it works, but yeah. not to make it stop working. Right. And that's what's crazy to me. I mean, cra crazy is probably a little strong, but um, the shame is, of it all when someone um, has questions <laughs> and they start to struggle with those questions and then they can't find a safe place to struggle through them. Um, mm -hmm. Right. I, th I think our churches should be like the primary place uh, where people who are doubting 
um, are just welcomed. I mean, this is, you know, Jude is a Jude 22, I think, 122, um, where Jude commends them to be merciful to those who are doubting. Um, while earlier in the book of Jude, uh, I mean, the strongest of language for those that are causing problems, right? It's like comparing them to demons and mm. um, to Sodom and Gomorrah and, and the rest. And then at the end, it says, be merciful to those who doubt. And I think we've really missed it in the church because um, what I think we often do is that sort of bump, bumper sticker theology that says, you know, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles that kind of idea. And oftentimes that gets sort of retranslated to like, well, I said it, so believe it, and that settles it. And the problem is, I think, especially, I mean, I'm a, you know, father, I, I, we have four kids, my wife and I uh, have four kids, and they're kind of in their teenage years or or, or close to it for the younger ones. But um, I think about this a lot for raising kids, that when we teach our kids to believe it because I said it, I think we do them a huge disservice. Um, and, you know, because one day they're going to find themselves on, say, a university campus and they're in a biology class or a philosophy class or something. And the professor is like the smartest person that they've ever met. And that guy, that person is saying Christianity is false and a fiction and a fairy tale. And we've taught people, we've taught our kids to say, to, to uh, believe it when somebody says it. When, you know, when there's an authority in their life saying it, then they just need to believe it. What I think is the sort of thing that I'm uh, recommending in the book is that we would just think critically about our faith. And I, for me as a dad, like I want my kids to think critically uh, about their faith when they're with me, especially when they're in my household, when they're you know, still with me um, and my wife so that we can walk with them through it. I say this, I don't, I sort of say this a little tongue in cheek, but I want my kids to doubt their faith, right? A little bit at least, right? Not that I want them to go through a tough time, but I do want them, because it, that would show me that they are serious about it, that they are thinking it through, and then I want to help them lean into it so that once they find themselves in the biology class or the philosophy class on a state university, and they hear some objection or other that might have been like, felt like an atomic bomb before uh, to somebody else, it, it feels very familiar to them, right? They've heard that before. Like they've grown, that was, that was like, you know, I was 14, I heard the problem of evil and that, you know, it's no longer a big, you know, uh, bombshell kind of thing. Um, yeah. Because, and, but that's just where we've, I think, fallen short in the church is that we haven't, we haven't made an atmosphere and an environment where it's safe to, to doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And like I, I, you said before, I, I completely agree that church should be one of the safest places that you yeah. can express your doubts and questions, the things you're struggling with, um, because we offer the good news. Yeah. And the good news is for doubters, too. That's right. So I know as a philosopher, philosophers love precision and they love <laughs> definitions. So Amen, if you brother. were defining uh, doubt yeah. and faith, how do you define these ideas, these things that we're talking about? Okay. So doubt, uh, so I don't give a very, very rigorous definition. Actually, I have a more academic paper um, 
that I hope to publish um, uh, on defining doubt. But uh, what I say in the book is that doubt is very much an experience. Um, it's 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 feelings, or the word that I really prefer is it's it's a seeming. It's when we when something uh, when one of our beliefs starts to seem like it might be false. That's all it is to doubt, um, right? It's not it's not a choice we make. It's not um, it's not the lack of belief or anything like that. Um, I, I always uh, love Oz Guinness's. Uh, Somewhat famous quote now uh, that that uh, doubt is not the opposite of belief, or sorry, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is, mm. and I think that's exactly right. Um, you can you can. This is something that I think is one of the more important things that I uh, will say here, and that that I say in the book is that doubting and faith are completely consistent states like you can be in both and not explode right mm. <laughs> it's good news yeah um because you can have the experience that one of my beliefs might be false and still fully place your faith uh in the reality of the gospel and the truth of christianity so the kind of example that i like to give is getting on an airplane because i really do think that getting on an airplane is one of the crazier things that we do as human beings, um, right? If we think about it, we we step on to a craft made of mostly metal. Um, already, this is problem, you know, we're about to lift off into the sky. Um, a 747 uh, weighs in at about a million pounds. So we're about to get on a craft that weighs uh, a million pounds of mostly metal. And we're going to drive down a little road. You know, we're going to strap in our little belt as if that's going to do anything. Uh, we're going to drive down a little road and lift off into the atmosphere, cruising, you know, roughly about six miles off the planet. Like, it's insane if you really start to think about it. It's, it's to the extent where you could start to doubt that that's a good idea, that that's even possible. If somebody sort of, like, really pressed you on those things, you could potentially find yourself... See, like having that seeming state, that experience that um, my belief that this is a good idea might be false. And yet with that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that struggle, you can still step on board the airplane. And you probably will, uh, especially if you're going to someplace fun, um, maybe someplace tropical. Um, at this point, I'd go to someplace cold because it's been so hot in Texas, but um, right this summer. So uh, you're probably going to get on board. You can, you could, even if you're in the grips of terrible doubts about flying on an airplane, you can still step on board and place your faith notice in the airplane and, and do all, you could, here's the thing I think is a beautiful picture of the Christian journey. You could be on the airplane flying while doubting flying. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I think that's often how it goes is that, you know, when we come to Christ, uh, we don't have it all figured out. I mean, give me a break. Like anybody that acts like they have it figured out just is not being honest. Um, we all have questions. I don't care if you're a seminary president all the way down to somebody that's just a, a baby Christian. We all have questions. Um, and so we, we probably came to faith placing our faith in Christ 
with it not all figured out. So obviously we should ask those deep and difficult questions along the way. This is the you know whole discipline of apologetics to me. And to just have some struggles with how do I answer that? I don't know exactly what direction to go there. How do we put, you know, the, the goodness and the power of God together with the uh, pervasive evil and suffering that we see in the world? Like, those are difficult questions. And to have some struggles to seem for it to seem to you like your belief that Christianity is true might be false is a very normal experience it's not one to run from. It's one to lean into because what you'll find, I think, especially living today where there's so many resources out there, uh, what you'll find, I hope, I, I would think, at least this is my story, is that you'll find answers and you'll see that actually people have been working on that issue for centuries, centuries and centuries. Um, and there's some really, really plausible answers. Not to say, again, I don't have it all figured out. I sit here today. I don't, I don't experience the doubts anymore like I did. Um, but I've got questions, and I don't know exactly what to do with all of them. Um, but that's the journey. That's, the, that's this idea that we're sort of wandering, but wandering intentionally. So, mm. uh, you know, the, the title of the book is definitely... Uh, uh, meant to be at least a sort of throwback to a Tolkien quote uh, where Tolkien says that, uh, right, not all who wander are lost. That wandering can be an intentional kind of wandering where we're aiming for a goal, but it's just a sort of circuitous route that we go through. And I think that, if we're honest, is is just what the journey of faith looks like. It's definitely mm. not just this easy straight road always um it's messy um yeah. and f i just think faith is messy and, it, and it's okay that it's messy it's actually beautiful because it's messy um but man that experience of having some questions going through that struggle of like oh i don't know what to do with this this is kind of bothering me somewhat and then finding answers my goodness that's that's a huge moment and like i said when we go through that, and that becomes familiar to us, our faith just grows like crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, I think in one sense, in the in the Christian life, when we experience doubt and we go through it, and we do as you were talking about, and lean into it to yeah. discover the answers that God has for us. <clears throat> yeah, and then it grows and strengthens our strengthens our faith. I see it. It's in the same way that um, putting your body through exercise. Yes. is something that uh, you're put you're intentionally putting yourself through distress. Yes. Whenever you start to feel the distress, you have the option to quit or to lean into it, knowing yes. that this is going to lead to something better and yes. which be a better lifestyle, better health. And spiritually, I think the doubt uh, the, those ex those times of experience can do this the, the same thing. Absolutely. Whenever we feel that tinge of anxiety over the question that internal distress, we can decide, okay, am I going to quit by uh, just suppressing it, by distracting myself from it, um, or by not seeking an answer, pretending yeah. that doubt's not there, or am I going to lean into it? Yeah. Uh, very much the same, same way. I think that w one of my experiences in dealing with people who are going through doubt, and I think I've even seen this in my own life, um, but it, it's easier to explain through drastic examples, you know, is I, I think that often our doubts have a mixture of um, an intellectual question 
and some sin that's operating in our heart. You know, there's, there's something that's going on in our life that is causing separation between us and God. Yeah. And then through that separation, we start to have some kind of question or sometimes we start to ask those doubting questions to try to mask or cover what the real issue is beneath the surface. You know, um, I, I've, I'm thinking of people I know who started to claim all, all kinds of questions and say that science had, you know, really opened their minds and led them to embrace atheism whenever really what it was is they had a porn addiction, you know, and then yeah. they started using doubt as a mask for that. And I, I think also of um, the cost of discipleship. There's a chapter where Bonhoeffer tells the reader uh, that if you're still struggling in your doubts, you need to just start obeying. <laughs> he said, obey, and then the belief will come. Okay. And, and, and I think that there's, and I've really wrestled with that passage over the years and not never yeah. been sure how to use it or apply it, but I think there's some truth to it. And yeah. so in your experience in dealing with people's doubt and whenever you try to help them work through it, at what point do you work in that element of, Let's let's ask the question of like how is your life and how is your just your walk with God and your repentance and obedience maybe falling into sin some sin uh, how is that playing an element in this is that something that you have encountered or that you uh, deal with in helping people work through their doubts Yeah definitely so um, I do think and I say in the book that doubts do arise clearly because of the fall and because of our sort of limitations um, in our humanity and so on, um, right? If we didn't see through a glass dimly or darkly, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians um, thirteen twelve, I believe it is, um, right, then we probably wouldn't have doubts, obviously. Um, but I also do think, I think you're right, that there is a moral component to this oftentimes. Um, but I don't know that we get, really get free of that moral component either. So it's it's sort of like, even if it's not talking about doubts, I think even when we come to our own theological positions, right, there's, there's times to wonder, are we coming to the theological position that we're coming to because of some sort of like sinful desire in ourselves or, or um, just wanting something to be the case and so on? So I, I don't know that doubt is uniquely um, sort of uh, linked to, you know, some sort of sin area. I, I do think it can happen, but again, it can happen with anything. Mm -hmm. um, but what I really kind of try to zero in on, though, is those the, the honest questions that underlie that. Um, yeah. Because I, I guess I... I don't know, and it's. I'm certainly not qualified <laughs> uh, to. So, if somebody has, you know, a fear of flying, let's say, like this, this, I'm not qualified to. In other words, there's there's a difference of like asking honest questions about the, you know, whether or not it's a good idea to get on the airplane, and then the phobia, the like real fear of flying that you know everything there is to know about flying, and yet you're still like terrified to get on. And I'm just not qualified to address that. Uh, I don't recommend me for a lot of those kinds of counseling uh, situations, to be honest. Um, but um, 
the only thing I really know to do is just to be confronted with truth. And so even, I, I guess I would say, even if somebody does have a, something of a sin area that is driving their um, questions, um, right? Being confronted with the truth uh, is still powerful for addressing that. And I think can sort of lay bare what might be underneath it. And so I try to do this with my kids. Like, obviously... My kids are many times, um, not all the time, but many times asking questions, not because they really want to know the answer, right? So uh, I always tell the story that, you know, our kids were younger and it was time for them to go to bed. We would say it's time to go to bed and they would say, why? And that's a question, (laughs) but they're not really wanting the answer because whatever answer I give, you know, I always did try to answer the question. Uh, they would just follow up with another why, and then I would answer that, and there would be another why. It's like they're just not wanting to go to bed. And I do Mm -hmm. think that's often the time – that's often the way in which we question these things is – and I've got, you know, atheist friends of mine that I just don't think they're after the truth. Um, They just don't want to believe. And as you – you know, you gave some some scenarios in which somebody might have – addictions that are driving that or just sin areas in their lives that were they to come to the belief that Christianity is true and something they should uh, dedicate their lives to, then that that means that their whatever they're into um, has to go away. <clears throat> and that can be, that, that definitely figures in. But I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm, I think that can be a uh, a tricky issue to to address. Um, I, I'm the, the way I'm getting at it is to say, look, let's somewhat set that aside and just talk about the permissibility of asking questions, the permissibility of sort of honestly just not knowing, um, because that's those are the you know people that I just ha- have a heart for is those that are just honestly asking some questions um, mm-hmm. and they have pastors and their parents and others that are just telling them to knock it off. So I think, you know, with every book, you have to sort of narrow it down to a particular audience yeah. and that's the audience, which, but again, I think that can be helpful to those who, because for the reality is that we're all that way. We're, we're always having some areas in our own sort of <laughs> fallenness Um that are motivating what we do. And so, but I do think that the truth is a great antidote um, um, for our struggles that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the truth should lead to confronting the questions that we have yeah. as well as the, the sins that we harbor. Yeah. You know, I think about um, the woman at the well in John 4 who yes. was masking her sin with questions to Jesus. Yes. And he ended up answering her questions and getting to and, the sin. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> you know, right. The, the truth and, can do both. And he did that with the Pharisees and the religious leaders at times. Yeah. You know, I think of Matthew 22 where they're challenging. Uh, it's just like this, you know, highlight reel of like, you know, different ones, you know, challenging Jesus. And they just sort of keep swapping in Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders, teachers of the law. And most of the questions he does in fact answer but it's it's sort of like in a way in which 
you know, they're silenced and humbled. Mm -hmm. And I got to think that, you know, I, I love this whole idea in Scripture of having ears to hear. I think that's a really interesting concept that Jesus says a lot. Um, and I think one of the ways to have ears to hear is to be confronted with the truth and to be humbled by it. Uh, and I do talk about that. I have a chapter on how to ask questions and just what big questions look like and having the virtue, what we call in philosophy, the intellectual virtue of humility and courage mm -hmm. and open-mindedness, um, right? Those things are at least helpful, hopefully, at least they are to me in sort of teasing out, is this really an intellectual question, an honest question that I have, or is this just, I don't want to go to bed? Yeah. Yeah, I think that there's... A lot of people in our culture today, we we live in a society that is not only skeptical but cynical about its skepticism. Yeah. yeah. And so it's it, it's skeptical about the idea of truth. And you yeah. know, you've talked about truth a lot and the need for truth confronting our doubts. But then on top of that, skepticism just about truth in general, if there's even such a thing, if if it can be known, there is a cynicism about even attempting to answer the question. So a lot of people, I think, are content with living the opposite of the examined life, as you know, Socrates would have called people to, uh, yeah. and and instead to just say, well, the unexamined life is the one to 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 live because who knows? Anyway, how do you address those people who are who are comfortable in their doubts and maybe living in that cynical skepticism? Yeah, um, I think what I want to say there is that it's very hard to live consistently with that. So um, I, I, and I know it's something we hear a lot, you know, especially in apologetics, we hear about this sort of forsaking of the truth and, and, and that's, and it, it does happen. It certainly happens philosophically and, you know, a sort of postmodern uh, approach to things, but you just can't get away from it, you know, and live your life. So, um, you know, the, that's kind of the old joke of like, it's a terrible idea to approach building a bridge with a postmodern <laughs> worldview where, you know, it's like, hey, it's whatever you, you know, truth is whatever you make it. Reality is whatever you make it. It's like, no, mm -hmm. there are certain realities that if you don't follow those and sort of conform your life to, uh, bridge is not going to be, you know, safe uh, to drive over. And so um, I guess what I would say is appealing to those areas of our lives because we tend to be a little, um, I don't know if this is PC to say, but we tend to be a little schizophrenic about this where we we take a postmodern view about, say, religion and morality, and man, that sure suits a person's lifestyle in some ways because uh, then they get to live however they want to, but then when it comes to building bridges and doing your taxes and all these other things, uh, those, you don't get to just make up your own truths. Uh, you don't get to just live your own truth. So I think appealing to those that are like so obviously a matter of what reality is and, and conforming your life to them and saying, so why not this other area too? Like why not, isn't it just the fact that uh, God either exists or he doesn't exist? Right, just starting with those like sort of logical basics or logical principles that uh, 
you know, we would teach in an apologetics course and say, you do that over here, why not over here? And the wide majority of people, I think, actually see that. I, I would have students, I've been in the Christian setting for uh, over 10 years now teaching, but when I was at the University of Iowa uh, for my PhD and got to teach some courses there, most of the students would walk in postmodern-ish mm -hmm. uh, and sort of relativist about certain things at least. And I always felt it like this great accomplishment that, and, and there would be atheists in my department that would celebrate the same thing of saying, right, at least there's got to be a fact of the matter when it comes to something like, you know, and they would pretty easily see that with just reality, like doing your taxes, building bridges and that sort of thing, uh, building a building, let's say, uh, or science, right? Science is predicated on the falsity of postmodernism in so many ways um, and technological advancement and so on. Uh, so they see it there and then I, it was just – it was awesome because students would say like, well, can't I still be a relativist? Like can't I still be postmodern about say morality? And, and it's like, well, why though? Like what's – why would that be any different? Mm -hmm. um, it's either the case that you ought to do X or you ought not to do X um, if you have any sense of morality at all. Like what doesn't make sense is, well, that's just your truth and somebody else may have a different truth. Um, and I think the same thing to God. Uh, at the end of the day, there's just either God or there's not. And so you can ignore the question. That's certainly a, an option. But I say, let's ask that deep and difficult question and see where it takes us. Um, and this is where, too, I think um, the we, we want to aim for not just the truth of Christianity – uh, in, in, in sharing the gospel, though we do aim at that for sure. That's a lot of what apologetics is. But we also want to aim for the, the goodness and the beauty of Christianity too. Because what people need to see is not just that it's true, but it's also good and it's beautiful because, right, there are certain things that we find out that are true, but they're not beautiful <laughs> and we're not motivated to them. You used the exercise example earlier Right. We all know we're supposed to be exercising. We all know it's true that you should eat healthy and those sorts of things. But so many people just ignore that. Why? Because for a lot of people, working out is an ugly <laughs> kind of reality. Like they don't want that. They're not attracted to it. Um, right. And I resonate there a little bit too much, probably. But anyway, uh, but the moment we see something as true and beautiful and good, we're going to give up everything uh, and, and give our lives to that kind of thing. And that's, that's what, again, to me, the Christian gospel just is, is it's true. Yes. And w there's a lot of really powerful evidence, uh, books and books and books have been written on the truth of Christianity, mm -hmm. but we also got to get, get that captured that it's also the goodness and the beauty of it. Uh, I think it's, absolutely beautiful it 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 should be attractive to us it's you know if if like darwinism is true it's we should be disappointed <laughs> we should be like oh man i wish that wasn't true uh like if it's an unguided process and there's no god etc cetera, etc cetera, whatever we've all packed into a sort of a darwinistic view that it's you know being a sort of godless um way in which all of biological life got 
to be how it is, we should be really disappointed about it. But I think we should be super excited if we realize, no, God actually created you and God created you in his image. Yeah. Um, and you you bear that image. And in virtue of that, you are infinitely valuable. Like now that's that's just beautiful. <laughs> And it's attractive, and we should be, you know, super excited if that's true. And that's where the truth piece comes in, where we give evidence to say that it, in fact, is. Yeah. So your goal is to try to give truth and answers to those who are asking those honest questions. But I think that for some people that might kind of confront what their conception is of faith, uh, because a lot of people don't believe or don't understand that faith and reason can go together. They have an idea of what we would call blind faith. Yeah. Uh, That faith is nearly the same thing as just wishful thinking and and, and hoping with our best hope, not based on any reasons. Uh, But the goal of your book is to help people to to, uh, learn how to search for those answers and to get some of those answers. And so our faith and reason for someone who might be, this is new yeah. to them. Are faith and reason compatible? And if they are, how do they interact? Do we, is our faith just based on intellectual answers, or is there a, uh, like I said, an interaction between the two of them? Uh, help us understand that. Yeah. Um, so I think again, just a great shame that so many people see faith as a kind of blind thing that's that's maybe contrary to reason or at least reason doesn't really figure in like reason gets you so far and then faith kind of fills in the rest i i I think it's really important that we see faith and reason as two different things they're not like some spectrum or they're two different things um faith uh, I, I guess I never quite got to it in your previous question. Faith is getting on the airplane. So faith, for me, the way I define it is ventured trust. It's where we really venture ourselves. So we trust someone or something. So I'm sitting in a chair right now. Well, I've in a little bit, you know, I've ventured myself on this chair. When we get on an airplane, we really venture our whole lives. Again, I say, I, hopefully none of your listeners, uh, you know, are struggling with the fear of flying and I've just made it way worse. But, uh, right. But it is, it's kind of crazy. We, we entrust our whole lives to that airplane. Um, and I think one of the best examples in a very, very biblical um, sort of image of faith is the faith had between spouses. So uh, also, like, you know, our really deepest relationship. So between spouses as well as the parent-child relationship, uh, that's, you know, our relationship to God is compared to those probably more often than anything else. And so I think that really kind of gives us insight of what faith is. So when we walk an aisle to marry someone, um, you are joining your life to that person and you are entrusting yourself to that person. Like your your lives get wrapped up with each other. And it seems to me, <laughs> right, we should have good reasons uh, far before we're walking the aisle, um, long before we, 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 we sort of take the plunge, so to speak, um, for thinking that this is a person that I should um, join my life with, right? So I always... You know, in apologetics talk, I always say you probably didn't come here expecting dating advice, but here we go. Uh, 
that's what dating should be for in a lot of ways is, is again, it sounds so not romantic. Like nobody's writing a country music song about this, but right. Is gathering evidence to say like, this person is trustworthy. This person is faith worthy. If you like, like this is a person that I should, and it will go well for me if I, but there's, here's the reality. And this is where I think Hebrews 11, one is, uh, has some emphases here is that, you marry someone, you don't know what it's going to be like six months from then. You don't know. Like, you don't, you can't see what it's going to be like six months from then. You don't know what it's going to be like five years from there or 10 years or 20 years. Um, that's an unseen reality to hook up with the Hebrews 11.1. 1. Um, and yet, what Hebrews 11.1 1 calls us to is to have an assurance of that. But it never does say how we get that assurance. But it does spell out. Uh, by my count, about 27 instances throughout the cha- throughout chapter 11 of of illustrations of that very thing, and what we see in every case is just that people have a realization or have a revelation, in fact, of who God is. And so Abraham, you know, gets asked to do this horrifying thing to bring uh, to take Isaac up and sacrifice his only son. In fact, the promised child. Um, does he do that blindly? No, he does it because he knows who God is. I mean, he's just had the promised child at age 100 after all, right? This is absolutely a miracle in his life. He knows who God is. So faith is ventured trust. Um, reason figures in because it tells us and helps us to know who and what to trust. Mm -hmm. I think we make it way more complicated than it needs to be. I think it's just that. So if you're about to get on an airplane and you're walking down the jetway and you look out the window and you see the airplane you're about to get on is all rusted out and it's leaking fluids out the back and there's smoke and like your reason should tell you that's not the airplane I'm about to entrust my life to. And again, like with a person you're dating, uh, you know, let's be honest, if that person just hasn't shown themselves to be trustworthy, then you probably shouldn't get married. Um in the same way, I think people need, most of us need some reasons to trust the gospel, to trust Christ, uh, to place our faith in, in Christ. Um, now, we don't definitely don't have it all figured out, but most of us, you know, when we came to faith, we did have some reasons. In my case, it again, it was my family and my parents and, and the ministry we were a part of and plenty of youth pastors and uh, Sunday school teachers and all the rest. Many, many, probably way too many people uh, for what I probably should have needed, but were there to to uh, help me see that Christianity is true and trustworthy, and I placed my faith as a result. But then I never, for me, I just stopped working on that. I stopped on that journey of having more and more reason to know that this is true. And um I think a really powerful verse here in this connection too, Bible verse, is Matthew 22, 37 and 38, where Jesus is challenged, uh, prior to this, that passage, he's challenged to give the greatest commandment, right? So it's like, Jesus is about to tell us the most important thing. So we should probably sort of take notice of that. Um, and what he says is that we should love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our um, souls, and with all of our minds, and that mind part is what's really kind of curious. A lot of people haven't taken a second, and I definitely didn't, um, 
in my life to realize that Jesus is saying one of the one of the things that we absolutely have to do as Christ followers is to love God with our minds. And I think that's just all that this is. In fact, the book is just a call to people would push in, lean in, and love God with their minds. And I and and last thing I'll say, um, and sorry, this is a long answer uh, for this one, but um, <clears throat> it gives us a posture too. So it's not the skeptic notice. It's not to like, uh, you know, sort of fight with God with all of your mind. It's not be a cynic to God with all of your mind. It's to love God so that the posture that we take as we ask these deep and difficult questions, some of which might cause us to doubt a little bit along the way, is the posture of a lover, mm. right? It's us pursuing in love. Uh, so it's not my daughter asking why, 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 and it's not the skeptic, it's not the cynic, uh, it's not the enemy, it's not the Pharisee, it's not the religious leader, it's that because we love God, because we want to know him in a deep and full way, we we are going to have to ask questions if we want to know God in that way. And so that's that's the picture. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. And a, a good reminder for us and... Uh, and a great place for us to wrap up is that we are called to love God with all of our mind. And so to yeah. remember that when we have our doubts, we've uh, come to the end of our time. And so I uh, just want to thank you for joining us on the show and for this book. Once again, you guys have been listening. Uh, it's called Wandering Towards God by Travis Dickinson. Uh, if you're interested in getting a copy, oh, there it is right there. I got I got my author copy like two days ago. So. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, if you want a copy, just go to the link in uh, the description and you can go to my show notes and pick up your copy there. Uh, IVP has uh, also provided a nice 30% off discount. So go and look at that so you can get the co your yes. copy of the book, get a discount. Uh, and start reading it to equip yourself in how to answer your, the doubts that you have and to be able to help others as well. So, uh, Travis, just want to thank you so much again for joining us on the show today and being here on Filter. Yeah, you bet, Aaron. And thanks so much. Love what you're doing here. And, uh, you know, well done. So thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch up with the latest from me, you can go to my website, AaronChamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast.